Hey everyone, Joe Bowen, the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs here, inviting you to join a very special podcast, 30 Minutes Live with CDP. It's every Wednesday and Friday night on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Hey, welcome uh, everybody to my uh, part two of my podcast today, live with CDP. I'm looking forward to my next guest, uh, Mike Camito. He's uh, a writer, uh, a writer for the website for the LA Kings, and he's also the author of the Hockey 365 series. And he's also a team historian for the Subway Wolves. And if you check him out on Twitter, uh, he always posts uh, uh, great stories on NHL uh, news from the past and all that as well. And I really appreciate uh, Mike coming on today. So just give me one moment, guys, and I will bring on uh, Mike one second. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Hey, Chris. Good. Yourself? Good. Thank you so much for coming on today, my live uh, with CDP podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How's things going up in Sudbury? Uh, it's another uh, sweltering day, uh, but I can't complain. The sun is shining, and uh, yeah, can't can't really beat it right now. Even though it is a little warm, uh, I always ensure that as a Sudburyan, when the snow is at its coldest in the winter, that we don't complain about the heat in the summer. So I will not complain about the heat. I was going to say, um, I like winter. I was actually born up north in Sault Ste. Marie, but didn't live there very long. But I've always liked winter, uh, probably more than summer. But I was going to say, you must be excited up there having the return of the OHL and the Sudbury Wolves coming up in September. Yeah, I am. It's uh, It's been a while since I've been to a Wolves game. I did happen to go to one of the last games that they had at home before the pandemic shut everything down. Uh, but obviously that was well over a year ago. So definitely looking forward to to what the team's going to be able to do this year. And it'll be great to see you know some people back in the Sudbury Arena because it always is you know a great place where the community comes together and supports the team. And I, I just got back to the Sleeman Center in Guelph uh, about a month and a half ago for the Guelph Nighthawks of the Canadian League Basketball League. And it was about a year and a half uh, wait for me. And it, was, mm-hmm. it felt so nice being back in that arena. And with uh, being a volunteer with Rogers TV, I will be uh, doing the Guelph Storm games as a camera operator. And I'm really looking forward to my first game, September 24th. And uh, it's going to be interesting, Mike, to see how it goes because I know with the Storm, they're going to have approximately 13 rookies on their uh, team this year, which is unheard of. And it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be interesting the first months of the OHL season. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I think, um, you know, we've got another top flight rookie coming in this year, uh, another Quinton actually for that matter. Um, and then also you've got some other players coming back. Um, I think, you know, I just saw today that actually the Devils signed Chase Stillman to, a, to an entry-level deal. Obviously, he's going to want to go to camp and try to turn some heads there. But I think uh, the general sense that he'll probably be back in Sudbury this year. So it'll be great to see kind of how he takes that next step in his development, especially as he becomes, you know, one of the leaders on the team. Uh, as he kind of hopes to to realize NHL dreams, but certainly I think he knows that you know being a first round draft pick coming back to Sudbury, he's got uh, some lofty expectations now, uh, not only to lead the team but also to be a, a rising star in the league. Definitely. And uh, since you're from Sudbury, I had to use Joel Bowen on today uh, for my intro, and I had his son Sean Bowen on as well. And Joel did the Sudbury Wolves games uh, before he became the Maple Leafs uh, uh, radio guy in 1982, I believe. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of people forget that uh, that Joe had a start here uh, in Sudbury back in the day. Um, yeah, and it was actually funny because I think um, 
you know, his, his son plays goal, but a few years back when they had the annual NHL versus Docs game in support of uh, Neo Kids here in Sudbury, uh, it's typically a game where they get some physicians together and they play against NHL players led by Nick Felino, and then he usually gets his brother and some players. Uh, back in the day, it was a lot of Columbus guys. Obviously, I think if we do it next year, maybe we see some Boston guys, maybe some of the old guys. But anyway, that the game that I went to, uh, Joe went in net. Uh, he did a pretty good job. Uh, you know, I can't. I don't know how how often he gets between the pipes uh, these days, but uh, but he held his own, so it was good to see. Oh, that's good. And um, some more uh, Wolves news too today. I was reading up. Uh, Steve Eiserman, uh, I guess Pavler beats the uh, Red Wings assistant general manager, and now it's going to be running the Grand Rapids Griffins as well. Oh, right on. I didn't see that today, but that's that's good. Yeah, and he was. Uh, I remember him when he played for the Sudbury Wolves. Uh, good old Pat Verbeek. Yeah, no. Uh, the, yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was quite the player for the Wolves. Obviously, went on to have quite the quite the NHL career. And now, you know, seeming to to be starting uh, to put together a nice executive career as well. Yeah, and I really hope Subway does well because it's such a great hockey community, and they've had the, an OHL team for such a long time. And I really hope uh, you guys, the Wolves do really well this year in the Eastern conference. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is, it is, it's, uh, I, I can recall, I think, you know, obviously in the nineties, they had some great runs. Um, but, uh, but I remember vividly the run they went on in 2007, all the way to the, to the league championship final. They obviously came up short against the Plymouth Whalers, but, uh, but there was nothing quite like, you know, when the wolves are at the, at their height of a playoff run, Downtown is always just full of people. Obviously, it might be a little bit different, uh, you know, in the coming years with with everything that's happened. But uh, but there's really nothing quite like playoff hockey in Sudbury. I was going to say just before I start asking you some questions, uh, the OHL this afternoon just made an announcement about uh, everyone that wants to go to the uh, to a game in the arena has to be fully vaccinated. I guess I guess they just posted that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that makes, I mean, it makes sense. It seems to be the way that a lot of these, you know, institutions are going. Uh, I certainly can speak to, I think, you know, with the way that the public, uh, public institutions are going in Ontario, that, uh, that, that seems to be the, the new reality. And, and again, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a prudent choice. I was going to say, I don't, I, I still haven't heard yet what capacity OHL arenas will be at in September. I guess I'll have to try to find that out from uh, Mike Stubbs or Jim Van Horn from the London Knights because I've had them on my podcast too, and they're great guys. And I just was curious to see what the capacity level would be to start out. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard anything locally yet, uh, whether or not that's, uh, I would imagine that the arenas based on their full capacities would be able to dictate what the capacities are but then again i don't know if the league will be stepping in and setting those those limits for the teams okay um first question i want to ask you mike can you just tell my audience just a little bit about yourself and when did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career as well as a hockey writer and uh doing some team historian historian work uh for the Subaru wolves yeah so i got into hockey writing probably um at this point now six years ago um i had always been interested in hockey and hockey history uh, i never really played hockey beyond uh you know just being on the backyard rink or you know going on the pond or the lake i never played at an organized level but it was always something i really loved you know even though the even though i wasn't very good at hockey growing up there's there was still just something about getting on the ice with your skates uh you know and shooting the puck around that i always kind of was drawn to and then as i got older i got drawn back into hockey kind of through just i think the history of the game um, and, you know, I, I myself was a historian at the time. I, I was actually at McMaster uh, doing my PhD. I was focusing on black bear hunting and management in Ontario. And it was around that time that I kind of started to realize that a lot of the skills I was developing as a historian could be applicable to telling hockey stories. 
Uh, I'd never made the connection earlier in my career, despite the fact that I had taken sport history classes and I was fully aware that there was a field of sport history. I just never saw that as a viable option for me. I thought that I had to kind of go down the road I was going, which is focusing on, you know, environmental history in Canada. Um, and so at that point, I continued with my PhD, but off to the side, I was starting to blog for myself where I was taking moments of Canadian history and kind of mashing them up with, uh, I was trying to do NHL previews. And it was a bit of a weird Frankenstein blog um, that I don't know if I really had the full readership for, but it really kind of got me into the writing game, uh, so to speak, for a popular audience. And then from there, I thought that rather than trying to, you know, do this weird Canadian history hockey mashup, I just started to focus on hockey history stories. And so I continued to kind of blog for myself. And then I, you know, got some opportunities here locally with Subway.com, which is my local newspaper. Um, so they gave me a good start there actually, you know, doing those columns uh, quite regularly for them. And then I did some blogging for, uh, for the Royal Half, which is an LA Kings fan blog, where I did some more of those, you know, weird Canadian mashups, but it was California history and Pacific Division previews. And then from there, that's when I kind of went, made the full departure to just telling hockey history stories and really kind of did some work with the Nation Network. Um, but then I think where I really kind of got into it was with Vice Sports and Sportsnet. And that was in, um, that was the season of 2016-17. I started writing uh, regularly. And, uh, you know, after doing that for a couple of years at various sites, you know, I got the opportunity with the Sudbury Wolves in 2018. I became the team historian. Uh, and then not that long after that, I started writing regularly for the LA Kings uh, in, uh, I guess it would have been October of 2018 was my first story. So uh, hockey is definitely not my, my full-time career. I work full-time at Cambrian College as the Director of Applied Research and Innovation. Um, but certainly it's, uh, hockey is definitely a passion of mine. And, and you know, I think, you know, I wouldn't have thought five, six years ago that I'd be the team historian for the Sudbury Wolves or let alone that I'd be writing for the LA Kings as frequently as I have over the last three years. But I think it kind of just goes back to a lot of those little opportunities I got at the beginning um, and how they kind of all built up to this. And then ultimately, as, as part of all of that is, is, you know, having the opportunity to do the books that I've, that I've done. I wrote my first, first hockey history book in 2018, Hockey 365, and now the second one is coming out uh, just over a little a month from now again. And, and that's something where, you know, I always wanted to write a book, thought it was probably going to be in environmental history, never really thought that, uh, you know, it would be in hockey, but, uh, but it's been a, so all that to say, it's been an awesome journey. Uh, and I, and I wouldn't change things. I was going to say, I wish they had all this social platforms and media 20, 25 years ago, because, um, back then I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was leaning towards broadcasting. And now, um, being with Rogers TV as a camera operator and creating my own podcast a little over a year ago, um, I'm hoping to make a career out of this into radio through my podcast. And I'm just hoping lucky. I'm just hoping one day somebody will give me an opportunity uh, from doing all these podcasts and that. And I've been very lucky to get guests like yourself and Dan Shalman, Jerry Howarth, Ken Daniels on here as well. I just really appreciate everybody uh, uh, giving me a chance to uh, do my podcast on here. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, it's, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for me, I've, I've thought about, uh, you know, what would it be like if this was my full-time job? And I kind of wonder, you know, sometimes where I, you know, I, it's, I really enjoy doing the work that I do with the hockey stuff. And I think about, you know, could this ever be something I could do more, like more than just on a part-time kind of like a side hobby basis. And then, you know, you start to think about things like, well, would it be as fun if it was my full-time job or if my family, you know, depended on my hockey stories, you know, to, to keep the lights on. 
maybe it would be, and maybe it would be everything I've always wanted, or, or maybe, you know, over time it would start to just become like any other job. So, you know, those are always thoughts I have in the back of my mind, but I think for now I've got it pretty, pretty great. I've got the best of both worlds. I've got a great job here at Cambrian that I love, got a great team that I work with um, here, and then also some great partners I work with in the community. So as long as they'll, they're, and they've been really, I think, supportive of the work that I do on the side, they know that obviously the hockey history is a passion of mine. Uh, so I think as long as I can continue to do both, that's probably, you know, the best avenue for me, but definitely do have that, that daydream from time to time of, of what would it be like to be, you know, let's say a team historian, you know, for the Maple Leafs, just throwing that out there into the universe. But, but yeah. I was going to say, and the one word you, you mentioned is whatever you're doing in life to have a passion uh, for something. And, and that's what I have with doing the podcast. And, and I love talking to people, asking questions. And also on your Twitter feed, I uh, check you out quite regularly because I, uh, I love the history of the game. I'm a huge sports fan and I love checking out the history of hockey and, and, and all your NHL stories and some of your OHL stories as well. Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's been a work in progress too. I think that started a little bit before, I really got into hockey writing. Um, again, I think uh, historians in general were pretty early adopters of the platform. So I got into Twitter because of my environmental history work. But then I quickly realized there was a whole other, you know, uh, you know, culture of hockey history or hockey Twitter uh, that I got into and just kind of started to, you know, adapt my Twitter feed to start to incorporate some hockey history stuff. And then over time, it just kind of took over. I think now, you know, I like to keep my uh, my Twitter feed, you know, open for work family and hockey, but I would say that uh, 95% of what I put out there is, is probably hockey related, which, uh, you know, sometimes can irk some of my colleagues who are not uh, in the hockey world and are in the, you know, the educational world. But, uh, but I think they understand that this is kind of what I do and, and they've accepted it or they've muted me and, and they've never seen any of my tweets since. So. I totally agree with you. And I, uh, most, I'd say 95% of my social media platforms or sports related or podcast related. I stay away from political and all that other stuff. I, I just prefer to focus on what I enjoy and which is sports and, and my podcast. So one question on Mike, I wanted to ask you also, uh, when you were starting out, did you have any mentors or mentor, like a mentor or mentors when you started uh, doing your uh, writing your hockey books? Uh, yeah. So when I did my, uh, when I did my master's here at Laurentian, my advisor for that, uh, thesis project was, uh, was Mark Kuhlberg. And so he was one of my professors going through undergrad and then he became my advisor for my master's and he's since become a, a good friend, uh, of mine and also of our family. And so when I went to McMaster, I was working with a different, uh, supervisor, but Mark, uh, you know, because of the relationship we developed, like he was always still a mentor to me. And so whether it was for the writing I was doing for my graduate work or if it was the hockey stuff, like he was probably, you know, one of the one of the few people who probably saw a lot of my writing before it hit the the Internet. So he was a great resource for me uh, and just kind of helped me just improve my writing overall, I think, was one of the biggest things is, is just as, as I continue to develop, you know, he was always there to kind of guide me and, you know, provide and instill some of, the, I think, the, the important habits I have now as a writer. Uh, but certainly I think, you know, I think of, uh, you know, when I first started to work with with Vice Sports, Chris Toman was my editor, you know, and I'd never written for, you know, I guess uh, a popular, uh, you know, uh, a popular website that was, the, you know, that obviously had a journal journalism focus, because again, I wasn't a, a journalism grad, I was a historian, uh, you know, taking history all my life in university. So a lot of that stuff was new to me, you know, but he, Chris was really great, I think, with working with me and kind of, you know, showing me the ropes in terms of how do we produce stories you know, for a news site like Vice, 
Um, so like that was great. I think having people like that, I think of Mike Cormack at Sportsnet, who's now with uh, The Athletic. These guys, I think, took a chance on me early on in my my writing career because I was relatively green when it came to writing for for news sites like Sportsnet and, and Vice. But uh, I, I will say they were very patient with me uh, with a lot of the ideas that I pitched them. And then not only just with the ideas, but I think just with my you know, general uh, greenness coming into the industry. But I certainly think that the time they spent with me, you know, over those that first year or so where I was writing regularly for both sites, I think really helped shape me to the point when, you know, the opportunity came to start working for the Wolves and the Kings. You know, I think I had understood, you know, what uh, what my value proposition was and how I wanted to communicate it. Okay, and I always like to ask my guests about to mentor or mentors because I find it's important in a lot of careers and, and a lot of people I find have had somebody in their life to help them out uh, with what they're trying to do career-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, uh, you know, I think that's, that is an important thing. And I hope that, uh, you know, I have some people that I work with now that I ideally one day, hopefully uh, I can, you know, kind of occupy that same role for them in the way that others have for me. Okay. My next question I wanted to ask you, Mike, uh, I guess you already answered the first part of this. What made you write the book, Hockey 365 Series? Um, also, did you also, can you tell my audience where they can uh, purchase uh, your book, our books online right now? Yeah. Um, one thing I will say that I didn't touch on earlier, though, just, you know, to kind of key into that question was that, uh, you know, I, at the time, this was probably in, this was in the winter of 2017 and I was on vacation, you know, with my wife and our four month old daughter in Mexico. And I, at the time was under contract with the university press to, to take my dissertation that I just finished a couple of years ago and turn it into a book. And I was really struggling with that process. Uh, I just, you know, after spending the last five years doing my PhD, I just didn't have the desire to kind of work with the subject material anymore. So I was on that beach in, uh, in Mexico I was reading Val James's book, who was the first black American to play in the NHL. And I just kind of said, you know what, everything I've been reading lately is about hockey. Everything I've been writing lately is about hockey. And I was just kind of maybe had a little too few, few too many cervezas, but I kind of had the, the moment where I said, life's too short. If I want to write a book about hockey, like now's the time. And so basically I sketched an outline on the plane ride home, found an agent when I got back and then we kind of went into the process. And then, you know, just over a year later, the book was, was available for, for purchase. Um, but, but I think that that's, uh, you know, that's an, an unusual story, but I think I always wanted to write a book. I just didn't know that it was going to be about hockey. Um, so, I mean, that was, I just kind of realized that goal in a different way. Uh, but ultimately, you know, Hockey 365, the first book and the second book, which is Hockey 365, the second period, uh, you can purchase both from wherever you like to get books. Uh, it's obviously available on Amazon and Indigo here in Canada. Uh, in the United States, you can buy it from, you know, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon. And again, also your independent bookseller. Uh, it's not available right now, but it's still available for pre-order until September 28th. But if you were to go to your favorite independent bookstore, you could ask them to pre-order it for you and they will do that. And then obviously after that September 28th date, it should be uh, at, at, at most fine place where you like to buy books. Okay, because I'll definitely have to get your book. And I had another gentleman on a month ago too who's written about 20 books, Kevin Allen, formerly okay. of US Today. And he was a really good guy too. And he had so many uh, great hockey stories to, uh, to tell as well. I uh, want to question how long how long was the process to write writing a book or your latest one mike if you don't mind me asking that yeah no it's uh it's it's a 
the the first book I will say took exactly six months because that's how much time I had. I waited until I got an agreement in place with the publisher. Uh, so I really only had six months to to do the research and write it all so that they could have the first draft ready so that we could edit it uh, and you know revise it in time for it to come out the following um, the following year. So this time around though, because I'd been through the process before, I started writing the book on my own without contacting the publisher yet. I just wanted to see, you know, this was during the pandemic at the height of the pandemic. Um, you know, this was around June and uh, the OHL season obviously hadn't resumed. The NHL season hadn't resumed. So my two main outlets for writing the Kings and the Wolves, uh, there was really nothing to do for them at that point. I'd finished writing my last story for the Kings in probably April. And at that point they had furloughed a lot of their staff and obviously all of their freelancers. So I was kind of told that obviously, you know, in the meantime, there will be no further writing for the club. So I kind of thought, you know, oftentimes writing a book is such a solitary process where you have to spend so much time away from a lot of the normal things that you do that I figured if I'm not going to be writing for the Kings or the Wolves right now, now would be a great time to really kind of spend that, that extra time I had on a book. So I started doing it in June, just very slowly. And then I got a deal with Dundurn for the second book in August. And then it, the manuscript was due in January. So really, again, another six month turnaround, although I kind of gave myself a bit of a, an extra two month buffer. So eight months to do the, to do the research and the writing. Um, and then after that, it would obviously was, it was edited by, by somebody. And then we did the whole, you know, the, the editing process and some rewrites um, and then obviously the, you know, the copy editing proofing process. So, I mean, all told, um, by the time we went from inking the agreement to when the book will hit, uh, will hit shelves, uh, it'll be just over a year. Uh, and yeah, it was a pretty extensive process. Uh, it's, it's certainly not, uh, it's a daunting undertaking, but, but it's a fun one when I think you, you know, the second time around, I had a better idea of what the process would be. So I think it was a little less stressful than the first one when, you know, I'd never written a book before. And obviously I just wanted to get it done, but I think I gave myself more than enough time now to separate it out so that I wasn't having to write at, uh, you know, all hours of the night, which is what I did the first time around. So it was, it was, it was still, uh, it was still quite the ride, but I think much more manageable this time around. What was it like seeing your finished product in person, seeing your book actually published and having a copy of it? That's honestly like the best feeling is uh, I because we had this feeling just last week with the with the new book. Um, but uh, when that when the first box of copies came to my house and we unboxed them and you could see, you know, the cover that the designer had put together and you flipped through it and you could see all of your words in print, you know, and it smells like a book, but it's your book. Um, that just kind of makes it all worth it when you know when you realize all those hours you put in like away from your family or at night or on the weekends, it's all worth it when you kind of see it come together. Uh, and the same thing is, is, is the same thing was true this time around as well. So, you know, I knew that uh, I had actually wasn't expecting the books to arrive this early. Uh, it was, uh, it was actually just the night before we were heading out of town. Uh, we went to a friend's cottage in Quebec for a couple of days and I came home and there was a, a box uh, on the, on the front door and I knew exactly what it was. And, you know, at the time, um, my daughters were swimming in the pool and we hadn't had dinner yet. So it was just like, I, I wanted to unbox them, but I wanted to wait until we had the right moment to do it. So uh, after dinner, got the girls around the table. My youngest is, her name's Sophia, and she's only uh, 17 months. So she's in a high chair. Zoe's, you know, she'll be five in September and she was around for the first book. And it's just a really cool moment to like take the books out of the box and share them with your family. Uh, I think Zoe is old enough now to appreciate 
you know, books because we read to her every night and she's seen my book before. So yeah, just a really cool moment. I think like any kind of project, when you see the final results, whether it's a book or, or any other kind of artwork, um, it just kind of makes you just that validation of this was all worth it in the end. Okay. Um, that leads to my next question. What did you enjoy the most about the process of writing this second book? And what was the hardest, what was the hardest aspect of writing the book? Uh, if there was any. Yeah. So that's a great question. I think that, uh, what I enjoyed most about the second time with the newest book was that I think I was a little more comfortable with my writing. Um, obviously when I started writing the book, the first book in 2017, you know, I, I had, I had been writing for a few years for, or not a few years, I guess only at that point, like a few months for, for Vice and Sportsnet. I'd obviously written many things before that, but I think by the time this one came around, you know, I was, I think, pretty established with the writing I was doing with the Kings and with the Wolves and some other freelancing opportunities I had. So I felt the, as though I was able to kind of take the formula that worked well for the first book. But I think maybe think outside the box a little bit more. I think I was able to kind of, you know, inject myself into the narrative a little bit more. I was able to kind of take some stories that were a little more outlandish and off the wall from the first book. Um, I think the hardest thing about the second book was that I didn't reuse any of the stories from the first one. So there's some examples in the first book where you won't see them in book number two because I had already used them, right? So again, I think of Wayne Gretzky scoring, you know, 50 goals in 39 games is obviously a pretty significant moment, uh, but you, you can't use that twice. And so you got to think outside the box. Um, but to be honest, I think this time around, it wasn't as challenging as before. I think, you know, with the, with the NHL playoffs being postponed until August, you now had NHL games in August and September when previously you would obviously never have any games. You typically played in August. Uh, in September, you might have obviously the Summit Series. You might have the Canada Cup. You might have the World Cup of Hockey. But by and large, you don't have any meaningful games being played in those months in the NHL. So I was able to kind of use that to my advantage. I didn't do too much on the from the ninth, from the 2020 playoffs just because I think we've all kind of had enough of COVID anyway. And I think that's probably something we can revisit a few years down the road as to, you know, what were the 2020 and 21 playoffs like? Because obviously they were under different circumstances. Uh, but I think it, it wasn't as challenging as I might have thought. I think I've always, people always ask me, you know, is it hard to find stories for, you know, the dog days of summer in July and August? And Yes, I think things definitely dry up because you're really kind of only relying on trades and signings. But uh, but I honestly don't mind that because I think it just kind of gives you the ability to kind of go off script a little bit and say, you know, yeah, this was the day that, you know, the the, the hurricane signed Archer Zerbe, but it gives you a chance to really kind of explore a player's life before he signed with that team or after he signed with that team and what were the end results, right? So it doesn't just always have to be about the transaction that occurred on this day, because ultimately those things are pretty boring in themselves that somebody put pen to paper. And that's really the extent of what happened until we see them play on the ice, you know, months or, or, you know, weeks later. Right. So I always enjoy the challenge of trying to find those stories for the summer months. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I had a lot of fun writing this book. Hopefully that comes through in the pages. I think because I had, you know, enough time away from the first book and I had enough time to write this, that I think uh, I was able to enjoy the process more uh, and hopefully that kind of, you know, shines through with the pages that, you know, this was this was something I enjoyed doing. And hopefully the enjoy, the hopefully the readers will enjoy reading it uh, even half as much as, as I enjoyed writing it. One thing I wanted to ask you also, uh, contacts as a hockey writer, I guess, how important is building contacts as well? You, like within the hockey world? Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's 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 definitely helped me because I think of you know when I was doing work for the Kings and the Wolves, like I interviewed a lot of people for a lot of those stories, right? And you know, I think of uh, with the Kings, it opened a lot of doors for me to talk with people like Kelly Rudy. I had the chance to interview Wayne Gretzky. You know, with the Wolves, I got to talk to Pat Verbeek, who we mentioned earlier. And then, so then when it came time to write the book, you know, I had a like a, a pretty decent Rolodex of people I could call on and say, like, could I interview you quickly for the story I was working on just to kind of verify some facts uh, or, you know, when the book was kind of ready to start to share with people, I was able to reach out to some of those contacts and say, Hey, would you mind having a look at the book and potentially offering up an endorsement? So um, it's, it's definitely important. I think that, you know, from my position, you know, being able to have those contacts and being able to reach out to people, you know, to either share or, or review your work or even just, you know, to interview people to support other works, whether it's a story, you know, for the NHL or it's, or it's for the book. I think it's very important. Um, I mean, I think it's an important part of, of any kind of business is to have those contacts, right? In my role here at Cambrian, um, you know, it's important for us to have, you know, a strong relationship with our partners here in Sudbury. So I think we rely heavily on our network and our contacts uh, to support our projects that we do as students. So I think, yeah, in any business, whether it's hockey or, or R&D, uh, it, it's, it's important to have that network, uh, you know, at your disposal and to build those relationships, right? Because it's one thing to have the contacts, but I think for that contact to want to work with you, you've had to have, I think, established a rapport, you know, over time. Certainly, you know, I didn't ask Kelly Rudy to review the book after just talking to him once. I talked to Kelly, you know, for example, a few times for stories for the Kings, right? So I think at that point I felt comfortable kind of reaching out to him. Whereas in other cases, I've had people I've interviewed and I wouldn't, you know, necessarily ask them to do a favor for me after just one interview, right? So I think it's important to really establish those contacts, but also kind of nurture them and, you know, and find ways to kind of build that trust so that when it does come time where, you know, maybe you're asking them for something other than an interview, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not too much of an overreach. And I'm just trying to apply that with my podcast too, uh, trying to build a rapport with my guests and trying to get them to trust me and feel comfortable with me. And then that way in the future, uh, if they're, they enjoy the work I'm doing on here, they'll come back. So what you're saying, Mike, completely 100% agree with and, and uh, contacts and networking and a rapport is so huge nowadays. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, my next question I wanted to ask you, how did you end up coming about uh, the website writing position for the uh, LA Kings? Yeah, so that's a bit of a funny story um, because when I had finished uh, my PhD at McMaster, I'd started to reach out to, I sent an email to pretty much every NHL club at the time asking if they had a team historian on staff. And, you know, a lot of those clubs got back to me they either told me we do in fact have somebody who does that role or we don't have somebody who does that role and we're not looking to, to hire somebody right now. And um, the Kings were one of the teams that, that got back to me and they told me that, you know, they, they don't really have a team historian. They obviously have people within their organization who, who I think focus on, you know, the alumni and the heritage portion of things, but wasn't necessarily a role that they were looking to fill. Um, and so I went on uh, the, all the Kings men podcast, uh, with, uh, with Jesse Cohen. And I kind of reiterated that story to him. And then when I went on Twitter, I reiterated that story again for some of the, some of my followers just kind of talking about, you know, how I've reached out to all these teams. And the answer was largely no. Um, and so the Kings actually saw that tweet and uh, they replied to me and said, you know, we didn't get a message from you, um, which, which obviously wasn't true, but I wasn't about to say that. So I just said, yeah, let me know. I'm happy to chat whenever. So then we took the conversation offline 
you know, I, I started talking with a guy there named uh, with Michael and, uh, you know, he, he said that he'd been following my work a bit, um, you know, from the previous work I did with the Royal Half, uh, but also some of the work I'd done recently with, with Vice and Sportsnet. And he was wondering if I was interested in writing for the team. And obviously, you know, I jumped at that opportunity. Uh, I started writing for them in October of 2018. And, you know, you and I are talking in, in August of 2021. Uh, I, I wrote uh, my most recent story for them a few weeks back. And I think that was my 53rd story. So uh, ultimately, you know, I, I, I like to say when I talk to students about this as well, that, you know, that that's why Twitter is important, because ultimately the opportunity came, you know, from that interaction and that, that exchange on Twitter. But that kind of glosses over the fact that I think that, you know, they'd reached out to me as well, because I think I had established enough of a track record at that point that they would have obviously saw something in my writing that they felt was, you know, they wanted to kind of bring to their website. So you know, it's, it's, I've been so grateful for the, for the team I've had to work with there. Um, you know, they gave me the opportunity to write for an NHL club. I think, you know, I think back, I think often that I'm a guy in Sudbury, Ontario, you know, writing for an NHL team in Los Angeles. And I think that that's the coolest thing that I could ever thought of as a kid who grew up watching Wayne Gretzky, you know, and especially when he got to LA, like there was nothing bigger and better than, you know, those, those, the black and white, you know, LA King Chevy Jersey. So to me, like that was just, that was like the, the pinnacle um but but yeah it's 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 been great it's given me other opportunities i i was able to recently write a story for the devils about chase stillman so my uh my not so secret goal i guess now is to write a story for every team in the league i've written so i've got two down i've got 30 to go it's obviously a big uh a big task ahead of me but that's the goal now is to get a byline for for every nhl team and i'm a lifelong detroit red wings fan too so um, hopefully you can do that. They have a yeah. 90, I think they're when they're 93rd or 94th year this year. So, uh, and I like the fact that Steve Eiserman is, uh, rebuilding the team. And I think in another year or two, the wings, uh, could be a playoff contender. Yeah, no, they're definitely on my list. Um, for sure. I, th I think, you know, kind of going, trying to knock off the original six teams first is a, is a good option. And then, you know, kind of, hopefully going from there, I think it'll take some time, but I'm up for the task. And yeah, again, I, uh, it's always better for the league when the Red Wings are competitive. So I look forward to seeing what, uh, you know, what he does in the next couple of years. I think if it's anything like what he engineered in Tampa before leaving, uh, you know, they're, they're in good hands. So hopefully, uh, you know, the, 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 that starts to pay off in the near future. Definitely. I was going to say, have you gone out to, before the pre-demic of the pandemic have you or have you, have you gone out to LA and and deal with the kings in person or has it all been on uh social media and uh, and and what you're doing on twitter yeah no it's all been virtual um you know i think when i first started with the team um you know i was just starting a new job here at cambrian so obviously you know that year was pretty crazy for me so i didn't have any uh any sights set on going to LA but I think before the pandemic hit, I had talked about, you know, wanting to do a trip out there to go see a Kings game because I've never seen the Kings play live before. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, the pandemic kind of derailed those plans. I, it's still something I would like to do. Um, you know, admittedly, some of the folks I've been working with at the, at the team are no longer there. So I don't know, you know, and they were my main contacts there. So, I mean, I think a big part of it was going to see a Kings game, but also going to like meet them in person. Um, so I don't think that's changed. My, my, my goal is still to continue to work with the team this year. Um, but I, again, I would love to get a chance to go to LA. My wife and I honeymooned in California in 2014 after we got married. And it's been one of those places where I went there and I just, I would love to go back. My wife's always insistence on, uh, 
that we go somewhere else before we go back to the same place. But, uh, but if I, I would love to go back to LA at some point, I definitely would love to go during hockey seasons to make sure I can catch a game at Staples. That's uh, my bucket list too. I've been to 13 States, but I've never been on an airplane. I've never been to California and I'm hoping maybe next year for my 50th birthday, I can go out to LA and San Diego. Uh, Cause like I said, uh, I'm a huge sports fan and it would be nice to, to go to a Kings game or a Lakers game or a Dodgers game. And, and uh, I, like I said, there's a lot to do in California. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great state. Uh, we spent some time mostly in Southern California when we were there. So we still haven't done, uh, you know, the North part of the state, which I think we'd want to do now, especially, uh, you know, cause we didn't really get a chance to do a lot of wine tasting when we were there. Although we did a little bit, uh, in Carmel Valley, but, uh, but yeah, it's just one of those places where, and maybe it's because I've been writing about LA for the last three years that I just want to go there so badly, but, uh, it definitely won me over when I went and I, yeah, I can't wait to get back. Are you okay for another few minutes, Mike? I just got a couple yeah, more questions. For okay, sure. no problem. No problem. Uh, this one I had to ask you. Uh, I shouldn't say favorite, but have you had a, a most memorable King story that you've written for the website so far? An interview you've done so far with the Kings? Yeah, it. I mean, this is an easy one for me to answer because I. It was. It was the story I did with Wayne Gretzky. So um, this was in the winter of 2019. And we were coming up on the 25th anniversary of Wayne Gretzky passing Gordy Howe for the all-time goals record. And, you know, I said to the team that, you know, it's the 25th anniversary. It's pretty notable. Uh, it would be great to interview Wayne or Mr. Gretzky. I don't think I called him Wayne. Um, and, you know, they said that that's, that's a great idea, but, like, don't get your hopes up on interviewing him. You know, he doesn't do a lot of interviews that day or these days, which I can attest to because I had requested interviews with him before for the book I had worked on and for some other stories. Um, and at that at that time, he still had a position with the Oilers. And every time, you know, the, the request was denied, which which I totally understand. So we put in the request to interview uh, Gretzky for the story. And the Oilers got back to us like pretty quickly and said that, you know, Wayne will call Mike the next day. Um, and so didn't know what time he was calling me at, didn't really know any of the, the, like the logistics behind it. Uh, the next day, my daughter was homesick in the morning from daycare. So I stayed at home with her and I just had kind of had my phone on the loudest setting possible, you know, in the, in case he called me that I could hopefully keep her occupied while I talked with him on the phone. And of course, you know, because it's Wayne Gretzky, he's a you know very important part of the King's alumni you know, if when he called me, I had to patch in my editor, Robin, so that they had a Kings representative on the phone with me as well to just to make sure that, you know, he was aware the Kings were part of the process and, you know, all that stuff. So I knew it wasn't going to be as simple as just taking it, picking up the phone because I would have to like merge him in with another call. Uh, so anyway, the morning goes by. He doesn't call me. My father-in-law comes over that day to watch my daughter for the afternoon because I had to go to work. I go to a lunch meeting uh, with a local with a local company called McLean Engineering, and I've never met them before. And um, you know, we start off the lunch. I'm just kind of looking at my phone, hoping it doesn't call me in the middle of this lunch. And because I didn't tell these people that I was a hockey writer, I think the I had two people from Cambria and Sean and Brandy who knew that I did hockey on the side, but the people I'd met from McLean, Stella, and I forget the gentleman's name, they wouldn't have been aware that I did hockey writing. So you know, if he called me during this lunch they're not going to believe me that I, I would say to them, Wayne Gretzky's calling me. I have to take this. Uh, they'd be like, why is Wayne Gretzky calling you? You're just a college administrator. So the lunch goes by, he doesn't call me. And then right at the end of the lunch, right before we get the check and we're talking about what are our next steps, 
my phone starts ringing and it obviously doesn't say Wayne Gretzky because I don't have Wayne Gretzky's number yet, but it says Thousand Oaks, California. And I just know that it's obviously it's Wayne Gretzky calling me. So I debate what I'm going to do here. I'm in the restaurant still. I could run to the bathroom, do the call from the bathroom with my tape recorder, which obviously isn't ideal. Uh, I would delay the meeting and then they would be like, are you okay? Like, did the meal not sit well with you? Like you were in the bathroom for 20 minutes. Like what's going on? So I looked, I just put the phone back in my pocket and let it go to voicemail. And so for the rest of the meeting, I was just zoned out because I thought that I blew my chance to talk to, to Wayne Gretzky and the Kings were going to fire me because I, you know, was our one chance to talk to him. Um, so finish the meeting, hop in my van, drive back to Cambrian, call him from my office, doesn't pick up. I'm just beside myself. All my colleagues are saying like, I'm an idiot for not picking up the phone call. Like it's, the, it's Wayne Gretzky. Like what's wrong with you? And then of course, though, he does call me back because he is a great one. So he was very gracious about the whole thing. We got to do the interview, uh, the story, you know, we were one of the few outlets that talked to him for the 25th anniversary, which is great. And then I ended up doing a story about the story. So I wrote a story for the Globe and Mail about the whole process behind the scenes of, of screening the great ones call. So I've talked to, you know, a lot of great people for the Kings. Uh, but I mean, I just can't top, uh, you know, that whole thing with the great ones. So like, that's definitely my favorite story so far, not only because it's Wayne Gretzky, but I think just the whole circumstances around finally getting on the phone with him uh, just kind of puts that at the top of the list for me. Great stuff, man. <laughs> I I really appreciate that, Mike. Uh, like I said, uh, people, a lot of people don't get to see, hear stories behind the scenes of that. So. Yeah, I was trying to balance my work life and the hockey life. And uh, everybody, including my boss, told me, you know, you should have answered that phone. So and even uh, Stella, who was at that meeting from McLean, I've seen her several times since. And it's always whenever she sees me on the phone, it's is that Wayne Gretzky? Because if it's Wayne Gretzky, I want to talk to him. So I always tell her that it's not Wayne Gretzky. But if Wayne Gretzky ever does call me back, I'll be sure, uh, you know, if you're around that you can hop on and say hi. So what was he like to talk to really down to earth and all that? I've never met him or dealt with him, but was he like, like he's been advertised? Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's always tougher to, to get a read on people through the phone versus, uh, you know, interviewing them in person. But I mean, I think just the fact that he understood that I couldn't take the call when I did and that he was still made time, you know, to call me back again um, was just great. So again, I think he lives up to his billing as the great one, uh, both on the ice and off the ice. I was going to say, out of all the athletes, in my opinion, hockey players, I, to me, are the, the nicest or the most approachable, in my opinion. Yeah, I can honestly say that I've, you know, um, with the folks that I've interviewed, I've never had a bad experience. And I'm always, you know, uh, not not surprised, but I think I'm always just delighted when you have a really great phone call with somebody who, who again, I think is just, you know, willing to, to spend the time on the call with you and, and listen to your questions and, and give you thoughtful answers. Okay, and I just got two more questions for you, and I'll be I'll be quick on it. What is a normal day like for a hockey uh, writer for a website? Yeah, so for somebody like me, I think it's a little bit different because it's not my full time job. But I would kind of give you an example of you know in a typical day, you know I might arrange an interview with somebody, um, you know depending on what time zone they're in. Like sometimes I'll do an interview during my lunch break here at Cambrian or at home if I'm working remotely. And, uh, you know, we'll, I'll come up with some questions. We'll have a quick conversation. Uh, and then I'll, you know, while I'm on the phone with them, I have it, uh, being recorded onto my tape recorder. And then, you know, later that day, usually, you know, after the girls go to bed, I'll transcribe the interview and then kind of read back some of the answers they gave me. And then it's a matter of just kind of taking the conversation that we had, 
and and putting the narrative together. Um, so oftentimes that that's usually, you know, I, because I work at Cambrian, all of my hockey writing happens outside of work hours. So I'm usually writing stories in the evening. Oh, I, Mike, you still there? I'm not sure if he froze up or not. We were doing pretty good there uh, for a while. Guys, just bear with me. I think Mike just uh, uh, froze up there for a second. I was just, uh, he was just telling us what a, a normal day is like for a, a hockey writer, like uh, uh, being a part-time, um, doing a, being a part-time writer for the uh, LA Kings. So hopefully we can get Mike back on here. He just uh, froze up. It sometimes does happen with uh, Wi-Fi. So uh, we'll just give Mike a couple of minutes. Uh, to see if he can uh, maybe uh, uh, log back on and get him back on because he was just uh, finishing up. We were just finishing up the podcast. And uh, just uh, this question was what it was a normal day like for a hockey writer being the Kings. So hopefully Mike will be back in a minute or two, guys. Things do happen with Wi-Fi and stuff like that. But uh, really good stuff from uh, my guest today, Mike Camito, uh, uh, the author of the Hockey 365 series. And he's also the director of applied research at Cambrian College in Sudbury. And he's also a part-time writer for the King's website. And he's a team historian uh, for the OHL's uh, Sudbury Wolves as well. So, uh, yeah, well, just hopefully we'll get Mike back on in a minute or two and we can wrap up this podcast. But I uh, just wanted to tell everybody, thank you so much today uh, for watching live with CDP earlier today with Pat Gregor and now with uh, Mike Camito. Uh, you can also check him out on Twitter at Mike Camito. I have it under there as well. He posts a lot of good hockey stories on his Twitter page as well. And Mike is also on, has his own website and his website is Mike Camito ca slash hockey slash 365 if you want to check him out on twitter or his official website as well uh so yeah like i said guys uh we'll just cross the fingers we can get mike back on and we'll wrap up this podcast and stuff like that uh really good stories about his uh interview with wayne gretzky on the phone and how he uh got this job with the Kings as their website writer and being a team historian for the Sudbury Wolves as well. And as well as being a director for applied research at Cambrian uh, College in Sudbury as well. So anyways, guys, like I said, we'll just bear with us. If you want to check him out on the social media website, uh, I'm just going to do some hockey news while we're waiting for Mike. Um, today, the Buffalo Sabres longtime play-by-play -play announcer on radio and TV uh, Rick Jenneret announced that the 2021-22 season will be his 51st year in final season as the Sabres' voice on TV and radio. Uh, RJ, they call him as, uh, in Buffalo, has had a tremendous career. He joined the Sabres in 1971 in their second year of existence. And that's he is the uh, longest, I believe, the longest uh, voice of an NHL team in history, I believe, at 51 years, which is just amazing. And uh, I, I look forward to the next year's Sabres team. And uh, I'll, I'll either you can watch them on TV with Rob Ray or listen to them on WGR 550. But uh, Rick Jenneret is one of the best in the business. And uh, I'm hoping, uh, like I said, one day I might be able to maybe have Rick come on my podcast but we'll see we'll see uh but uh, i'm looking forward to uh uh his last year with the sabers and uh a well-deserved retirement for uh, rj uh 51 years man that's a lot just one second i think mike's come back and we'll get bring mike back hey mike 
Hey, sorry about that, Chris. My whole, I thought maybe just that yard crashed, my whole computer crashed, so I had to restart it. But so I'll, uh, I know that you probably, uh, probably over, over the time you had a lot of for me, but I think the la I don't know how much you heard when I got cut off there, but I was just going to say that, you know, for me, a typical day is doing that interview, transcribing it at night and then writing the story. And then I often send it to my editor and she'll put the final touches on it and then they'll, they'll post it to the team's website. So sometimes I'll provide them with, uh, you know, an idea of graphics we could use, but ultimately they take care of all of the layout on the website. Uh, and it's just, it's really up to me to kind of put all the, you know, put the narrative together and kind of, you know, craft it in a way that I think best represents what the team is looking for. Okay. One thing I've learned about doing, even doing a podcast like this, uh, sometimes things happen with Wi-Fi and guest schedule and that. So I've learned how to ab lib as well. So uh, when you went off the air, I knew it was a Wi-Fi issue. And I, I just, uh, I always prepare myself because sometimes things happen that you uh, don't count on. So you, when you're on live, on live, you just got to keep going. So yeah. I, yeah. So I'm still, every day is a work in progress for me and learning and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I think we've all learned in the pandemic that when people drop out of a call, uh, they're usually usually quick to get back on. Yeah, no worries. I just got two quick questions for you, Mike, and that's it. This one I wanted to ask you anyways. Can you just tell us about your position again with the college in Sudbury as Director of Applied Research and Innovation, and how did you come about that? Yeah, so I started at Cambrian in, in 2016, um, you know, just a week after my first daughter was born. And I was working in the applied research department as uh, a business developer. And my role was to work with local companies and organizations here in Sudbury uh, to take on projects with faculty and students. And so, um, you know, in, in 2018, I became the director. And my, my role now as a director is just to oversee those activities. So we have a team here. Uh, that works directly with industry partners in Sudbury. Uh, obviously here in Sudbury, Ontario, the, our major industry is mining. So we do a lot of mining related projects, largely focused on, on technology adoption. And so uh, our team looks for projects, uh, you know, largely focused on things like prototype development or process improvement. We work with the partners to develop a scope of work. And then our students here at Cambrian, along with faculty and other staff, you know, work together to make that project a reality. So sometimes we like to say that, you know, a company will come to us, you know, with an idea on the back of a napkin and it's our job to, to make that, you know, that doodle on that back of a napkin, make that a reality, you know, by providing them with a finished product that they can either, you know, adopt into their day-to-day -day operations or bring to market as a new product offering. Okay. And my uh, last question for you, Mike, uh, can you just ha do you have any advice for those looking to pursue a career as a writer and also where can my audience again find you on social media and I did put your website down on my ticker perfect thanks yeah I mean I think any advice I would give anybody is just to you know pursue if you if you're interested in writing or if you're interested in podcasting you know pers pursue it if it makes you happy um, I think that you know, for me, uh, I've, I've never really been interested in, and certainly I didn't start writing for an outcome that I had in mind, right? I wanted to start writing because I loved writing and I wanted to share my stories with people. I wanted people to read those stories and connect with me in that way through the words. Um, and, and that's always been my motivator. I think that as I've gone through this process, certainly I think I've been lucky enough to get, you know, some great opportunities as a result of that. But those opportunities that I've, I've, you know, I, I've arrived at were not the goal of the writing, right? So I think that as long as it's something that you derive, you know, pat, like uh, you're passionate about it, it makes you happy, you know, just to keep pursuing that, right? And you never know where it's going to lead. Oftentimes it can lead to unforeseen opportunities that, you know, you might 
might be too good to pass up. But but ultimately, I think if you're motivated by things other than pursuing your passion, um, it, it is a difficult road. Uh, I think I've learned that uh, there's been multiple times in my writing career where I thought I would have uh, what they call a big break. But I've realized over the last six years that there's really there's really no such thing as a big break. There's these incremental minor breaks that happen that ultimately lead up to larger and larger opportunities. So I think if you focus on the big picture and try not to get too hung up on, on arriving at certain you know stages of your career or getting certain opportunities, uh, if, if you put in the work and you put in the time required to do that, um, you know, you may just arrive at the destination anyway. And I think you're, you know, you're better off for it by having gone through the journey. Uh, so, I mean, that's what I would say is just to keep at it. Um, you know, when I first started writing for, for, before I started writing for vice sports, I had pitched them countless ideas for story ideas that got rejected. Uh, and they got rejected for a number of reasons. Either there wasn't enough budget in that quarter to do a, to do a story for a freelancer. Maybe somebody on staff already covered the story. Maybe it was just a bad idea, but I didn't let that deter me. I just kept kept knocking on the door uh, until eventually I got an opportunity and that opportunity led to a regularly recurring writing spot with vice. So um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. And ultimately, you know, to your second part, where you just asked where you can find me, uh, I'm on pretty much all social media platforms, except for TikTok. I haven't quite figured, although I do have a TikTok account. I just don't use it. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at, at Mike Comito. Um, and again, that's Twitter is probably the main one though, where you'll find all these daily hockey facts uh, and you'll also find, you know, where I post links to my, uh, where you can buy the book uh, or any news stories I do for the Kings or for those other 30 NHL teams that I've got my eye on. And I finally, speaking of TikTok, uh, I always, I passed on it. I thought it was old for 20 year olds or teenagers. Uh, I tried it five weeks ago and there's people, I'm 49. There's people that are even older than me on TikTok. And I found it, it's been great so far because I'm using it to promote my podcast and market myself. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 is a, it is a good tool if you use it right. It's like with any social media page. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely one of those ones where, um, I need to I need to invest some time, but it's just a matter of finding the time. I've 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 started yeah. to make a. I finally got into Instagram with a separate account called Hockey Three Sixty Five Facts. Um, I'd always felt that I missed the boat on the hockey history on Instagram, and so I've I've decided to start to do a lot of the stuff I'm doing on Twitter, but on uh, the account Hockey Three Sixty Five Facts, where you can find you know a lot of those same hockey history stuffs. Uh, ho- sorry, a lot of the same hockey history facts, uh, but on Instagram as well. Okay. Well, Mike, I'm going to let you go, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on live with CDP podcast. And maybe again, I can have you back on, I guess, in the future when the uh, NHR regular season's going off and the OHL's yeah. going off too. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd love to, Chris. appreciate it. Uh, again, thanks for, for having me on and, and keep up the great work. Thank you so much. And we'll keep in touch with you on Twitter. Have okay. a great weekend, Mike. Thank thanks. you. Thanks. You too. See you later, Chris. Bye. 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 Anyways, uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast with Mike Camito, uh, the author of the Hockey 365 series, and he's also the uh, website writer for the LA Kings and team historian for the Sudbury Wolves. So I want to say thank you again to Mike coming on. Some really good stories uh, from behind the scenes, and his book is available on uh, Indigo or Amazon.ca called the Hockey 365 series. Uh, this is his second book he's written since 2018. So um, really, really appreciate Mike coming on. And you can also check out his website, MikeCamito.ca, Hockey 365's uh, website as well. 
Before I get going, guys, uh, I'm just going to let you guys know uh, my next CDP Live with CDP podcast, Monday, August 23rd at 10 a.m. I'm going to have Brian Colzio, the Buffalo Sabres pre- and post-game host on the Sabres Radio Network as my guest for the second time. I'm looking forward to that. And then Tuesday, August 24th at uh, 12 o'clock, I'm going to have Philadelphia Phillies TV play-by-play announcer uh, for NBC Sports uh, Channel 10 in Philadelphia, uh, Tom McCarthy, come on. He's also an NFL on CBS announcer as well, and I'm going to be talking to Tom about uh, his career in radio and television and working with the Phillies and Mets and also now covering the NFL on CBS as an announcer. So I've got some uh, uh, some big guests coming on next week and more podcasts as well. So um, just want to say thank you to everyone watching this live on YouTube, Twitter, and my Twitch live streaming, and uh, later on on the audio version as well. And before we do that, I got some more sports news. The Toronto Argonauts home opener is at BMO Field tomorrow, Saturday, August 21st at 4 o'clock Eastern against the defending uh, Great Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, Arbuckle, Nate Arbuckle, is going to be starting for the Argos as quarterback, and hopefully the Argos can uh, uh, get some revenge on their 27 loss to Winnipeg last Friday night. And some other baseball news. The Detroit Tigers are in Toronto this weekend for a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at the Rogers Center starting tonight at 7.07. Uh, Detroit Tigers uh, future Hall of Famer first baseman DH Miguel Cabrera is still one home run short of 500 so I'm hoping he gets number 500 tonight or tomorrow or Sunday in Toronto and uh, I wish I could go to these games because uh, I would love to get that 500s home run ball, which is going to uh, get a fan, a lucky fan, a lot of money from, because uh, that's one of, that's one of the rare feats in baseball, hitting 500 home runs. And the Tigers are on a bit of a losing streak right now. Uh, they didn't have a good series against the LA and the Angels, so I'm hoping the Tigers can bounce back this weekend and hopefully take two out of three against a Blue Jay, a, a pretty good Blue Jays team as well. And also, guys. Uh, CBL Championship Weekend will take place this weekend in Alberta, Canada with uh, the uh, Edmonton Stingers in this tournament, along with the uh, Niagara River Lions, Ottawa Blackjacks, and the Fraser Value uh, Bandits. I believe the first game tonight is at 5.30, and the second game is at 7.30 as well. And some other CLBL news. Uh, on Monday, they announced their newest franchise, the 8th, uh, the Scarborough Shooting Stars. Uh, will be the eighth team in the CEBL. They'll start their uh, season next year, 2020. Uh, sorry, 2022. Uh, I'm not sure which arena they're going to use in the Scarborough, Toronto area, but the greater Toronto area now has a CEBL team, and that's great on that league as well. So, anyways, guys, uh, like I said, uh, live with CDP podcast, the audio version, which I download after each podcast, is available on Google Podcaster. It's Anchor FM. Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and CastBox. If you happen to follow me on my LinkedIn page, uh, my audio version of my podcast is always downloaded on uh, my LinkedIn page as well. So, anyways, and I'm just going to one more thing. Uh, yeah, I was like I was telling Mike here uh, about five weeks ago. I finally got on TikTok. So, uh, anybody who wishes to follow, friend me on TikTok. It's at live with CDP, uh, at live with CDP. And I do post uh, quite a bit on TikTok and my uh, next podcast shows as well. 
So, anyways, uh, guys, uh, like I said, I really appreciate everybody watching today. And uh, I'm hoping uh, you all have a great weekend. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate Mike and Pat both coming on today, my podcast. Uh, like I said, a podcast is only as good as your guests are. And please check out Mike on uh, Twitter. He has a lot of good hockey stories on there too. And uh, I hope to have him back again maybe in the fall or in the winter. And we'll talk more NHL and some OHL as well. And speaking of the OHL, uh, they made the announcement today that anyone that wants to come into an OHR arena this year is going to have to have proof of being fully vaccinated as well. And go on the Ontario Hockey League website, and they just made that announcement today as well. So, And uh, I read one thing from Tony Sexton on his Guelph Today Twitter page that uh, the OHL is hoping uh, teams can go across uh, the U.S. border by November 3rd. Uh, right now there's three U.S.-based teams in uh, Flint, Saginaw, and Erie. Uh, they can come over across Ontario, no issues with that. Uh, but uh, no no OHL team will be going across the U.S. border until at least November 3rd, and that's courtesy of Tony Sexton uh, from Guelph today as well. And check out his Twitter page as well. Uh, Tony is very knowledgeable about the OHL, the Canadian Hockey League, and he covers the Guelph Storm as well all right guys i'm gonna call it i call it a podcast and weekend and we'll see you guys here monday morning 10 a.m uh eastern with brian cozio from wgr 55 wjr wgr wgr i can talk 550 in buffalo he's a pre and post game host for the buffalo sabers and we'll ask him about the the upcoming uh, retirement of uh, Rick Jenneret at the end of this uh, 21-22 season as well so anyways guys uh thank you so much for watching live with cdp have a great weekend and we'll see you monday at 10 a.m with brian from uh, wgr 550 in buffalo thanks <laughs>